0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: If you were listening to Bill Kelly this morning, and of course you were, because why wouldn't you be listening to Bill Kelly this morning? You heard Councillor Donna Skelly on here explaining why she was bringing forward a motion today at Hamilton City Council to condemn what happened on Lock Street on the weekend. And as she did, and as it came up today, councillors had an awful lot to say about this motion and this moment. They're not only a a gang, they're a terrorist gang. If that's their modus operandi and that's what they want to do throughout our city, then they are terrorists and we ought to treat them accordingly.
0: It is the people that participated. Absolute cowards. In fact, I mean, I use the term people lightly. It goes without saying that we condemn all the things that this motion condemns, but it's good to say it out loud. If
2: any of these morons actually paid attention to what we have done to combat gentrification then they wouldn't be doing what they're doing anywhere in the city. Yeah,
1: I hope they will all be caught and I hope it sends a clear message to the to anyone else out there in the community that thinks that this would be tolerated. It is not going to be tolerated and this is not what Hamilton's about. Yes, what they did today, they passed it. Uh and it is just a symbolic gesture. It doesn't change any laws. But still, I think most of us would agree Council had to do something, and they did something. They did something official, and that's what they could do. But in the midst of this discussion, Councillor Sam Marula raised an issue that I talked about on this show on Monday evening, and I am still puzzled about today. And that is, he pointed out that on Kenilworth and Ottawa, they were the areas where this was supposed to be. They were the original targets of this. And that the anti-gentrification anarchists had been throwing bricks through the windows on restaurants on Barton Street last summer, And on concession, there was a firebombing last summer, but those incidents hardly registered any kind of notice with anyone. No one did anything to rise up and stand for those merchants or those areas. And sometimes, and this is the line that Sam Rula said that really, I thought, captured it today. So sometimes when things happen in the East End, they're not as important, or so it seems. And I agree. That is the perception. I agree with him. But I wonder why that is. Well, let me bring him on. Uh, Councillor Sam Marula joins me now, sir. Thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure, sir. I agree with your premise. I agree with your suggestion that sometimes when things happen out in the East End, it doesn't seem to matter as much. But why is that?
2: Well, that's a, that's a very interesting um, question. And what we have historically known is that historically in the East End versus the West End, that there are issues that seem more important when they occur in the west end and i think it has everything to do with the historical demographics surrounding who lives in the west end versus the east end i live in east end and i'm proud of it and we're blue-collared hard-working uh, uh individuals who who basically uh, do our 12-hour shift at work come home in an the evening and historically that's been the case what we have found, and in the West End, they they were known to be more elitists. Uh, obviously, demographically and financially, far more uh, enhanced. But uh, the the reality is that um, historically in Hamilton, those individuals have had a larger voice, regardless of the political representation. And in East Hamilton, we've had some very vocal um, uh, type of representation. I can only reference even my own scenario when the flooding scenario occurred in the mid-2000s in hamilton and it occurred in my ward in east hamilton i had to scream louder than anyone had before and i was mocked by the mainstream media i was mocked by everyone else in the city uh, about the issue saying that i was grandstanding it was all about trying to grab headlines as opposed to dealing with a very serious issue related to climate change and our lack of infrastructure in, a, in an area I inherited that's been neglected for for decades, what happened subsequently was that, as a result of being as vocal as I was, we were able to enhance the infrastructure. But then suddenly, when it, the mountain was hit, when the West End was hit, now we had a serious problem. Now we had editorials that have been written about how we need to deal with this infrastructure deficit, but nobody was no, no longer talking about this sam ruler grabbing headlines now it became an issue that was validated because suddenly certain demographics in the city were being impacted
1: okay so is it is it all financial is it all economic strata or is it that some are of a certain age group in certain areas that are better on social media with, uh, or
2: influence it has everything to do with influence It has like if you look at for instance where a lot of uh, well, even the the media people live, they live in certain demographics, in certain areas of the city. And I can say, there's very, I would say, I don't know one person, Jim polling who was a, a, a very, um, I guess, a high end um, employee at The Spectator, lived in the East End.
1: Yeah, managing editor of The Spec, Yeah, yep. He
2: was, and um, God bless him, and he stayed in the East End and still is in the East End. And most recently he's been promoted, and he's now working out in Kitchener, he will be. But in, in the West End, you look at where they all live, they, that's exactly where they all live. So, Again, not saying that it was done intentionally or, or with any malice, but the reality is where, where the center of that influence, McMaster University, uh, the uh, the so-called intellectuals in the city all lived, versus where the industrial and where the blue collar workers lived, uh, there is a two-tier system in the city. And I saw that, uh, again, even though it's changing, because in the east end our property values have increased 600% in the last 15 years, uh, people are moving, uh, used to work to move out of the East End. Now people are working to move into the East End. Uh, we're going through the same gentrification. And Ottawa Street actually was one of the, and then Kenilworth and Barton were hit first, but
0: yet nobody paid attention. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8 only on 900 CHML.
1: Continuing our conversation with Counselor Sam Marula about this. I don't even know what it is. by be I mean a blind spot—is the right word, but certain areas of town, something happens. We are very concerned about it. Other areas, the evidence would suggest there is less interest, and we're not really understanding why that is. Uh, Sam, even today, if I understand correctly, when this motion was brought up at council, it was you who had to actually request or ask that the motion be expanded a little to include concession in Ottawa and Locke and Barton and all those streets, correct?
2: Absolutely. I, was, I really was only focused on Locke and lock um and what occurred in lock again is unconscionable um of course I, it is. I i i support lock i've been there and and the merchants know that having said all of that my concern was this my concern is that all of this focus was was presented on lock at a time when uh 3 4 5 years ago it started in the east end yet we didn't have this mobilization citywide standing up on behalf of those merchants that are continually and to this day are being impacted even this last weekend, uh, with graffiti and other damage. So my, my only point was that, is that we are one city, regardless of where you live in this city. If, if you're a victim of any type of crime, or especially targeted in this particular case through gentrification, that I encourage people, that, yes, let's support Lock Street, but let's not forget the original victims. And now those are those victims on Ottawa Street, Barton Street, Kennerworth, Maine, uh, and even one on Concession Street, as you referenced, but um, and that's really my my angst is that that when certain things happen in certain places, there seems to be more of a focus based on more of a, of a historical demographic as opposed to the present demographic, which, as I mentioned, has changed dramatically uh, as a result of property values and really the the, the fact that gentrification actually has occurred in the East End. But the difference is this in the East End. I'm proud to say that in Ward Four, as an example, I have supported, and the people of this area have supported, as we moved forward and gentrification occurred in this in this area of town. We stood up and we created nearly 500 affordable housing units only in Ward Four. So, as I said today at the meeting, if we're going to move forward as a city, and we're only at the beginning of the Renaissance. Every single ward in the city from Ancaster to Bimbrook to, to Stony Creek, every single ward needs to stand up and be held accountable to ensure that we move forward without leaving anybody behind.
1: I want to, sorry, I want to jump in because I want to play you a clip. Uh, now, this was from Scott Thompson's show earlier today. It was with Krista Boyer, who's a real estate agent in town. You know Krista well, I, because, I know well yeah. because she was someone who has suffered at the hands of these kind of things before. She's talking about a meeting that was held with some investors in September and some councillors, including Matthew Green, apparently were there. Here was the clip from Scott Thompson's show earlier today.
0: Okay. So where was Councillor Green on this? Was he supportive of you or not?
3: No, he was not.
0: In, no, in he, how, how we, come? we were
3: met with quite a defence from him. Um, and, uh, to paraphrase, you know, he said something to our investors in the room that if you're going to buy cheap real estate on Barton street, you know, you can expect some windows to be broken.
1: Sam, th- that doesn't sound to me and that's her words, but that doesn't sound to me like this. It's being seen in the same light as lock street that just you're going to have some windows broken. You're going to have some rocks thrown to windows. It doesn't sound like the same response.
2: I really can't. I didn't hear him say that, uh, Councilor Green. And I know Krista well, and I know that I worked with her closely on the Barton and Kennerworth study. And actually, that's where we were first victimized. Is is that uh, Tri Hamilton that she she was part of? Um, so uh, again, in all fairness to myself, I'd hate to engage in a dialogue that I that I wasn't aware of or privy of prior to the moment that I'm talking.
1: But it does it does suggest, and others, and the whole discussion we're having suggests a blind spot. I'm not sure how many people are intentionally looking down on parts of the city, but there's a blind spot that it's not the same everywhere.
2: Well, I, I think that there was at one time a, a belief that you could buy cheap property in the East End. I think those days are gone. I think uh, there are certain opportunities still, and they still, they still exist in the East End. On um, Barton Street, or potentially even parts of Kenilworth, uh, but to to, to to we want to encourage those properties to be purchased, even though they might be lower than other areas, because we want to redevelop. We want we don't want to gentrification in the true sense of the word, and that we're displacing anybody. What we want is we want renaissance, we want redevelopment, we want investment, and when that comes, there there is a cost to that. But my point to you is. I welcome that investment because I have stepped up to the plate and so I have my residents supporting me in supporting stepping up to the plate and ensuring that we have those affordable units available. Well, of course,
1: and we don't want any part of the city to, uh, I mean, it's a word I probably shouldn't use, we don't want a part of the city to be a dump. We want things to be fixed up. We want things to be nice. We want people to be able to invest and live in these places. Uh, just before I let you go, because we are short on time, unfortunately. Sure. No Last question for you. We know what happened on Locke now with not the, the incident. We know the response that happened on Locke. Now, if the same thing, and we heaven knows we don't want this to happen anywhere else in town, but if it did happen again on Barton or if it did happen again on Kenilworth, do you think anything would be different now? Do you, do you believe the response would be that having seen what happened on Locke, would people rise up now or would we still be dealing with laissez-faire and sort of meh? I'm not sure.
2: I, I think we would still be dealing with the i guess uh ambivalence so, but and the sad part of that is the fact that again it, it, it if you have a mass attention to one issue you 're going to get a mass response if you are getting minor um, response to an issue you 're going to get a minor response and that and that 's what occurred when it happens in the East End until it happens to them it 's not an issue, so suddenly also it becomes like a critical mass of an issue. But I do have to commend Bill Kelly because, see, Bill Kelly was probably the he he stepped to the plate on that issue back when Detroit Hamilton Kenworth Barton uh, gentrification issue and the attack, and and you have to keep in mind that people were physically assaulted. Yes, yes. In in, in the long was... Street example, nobody was physically assaulted. We had individuals, Toronto investors that came here that were trying to get onto a bus that were physically assaulted with hot coffee.
1: Yeah, it's not, Sam, I'm sorry. I'm right out of time. I hate to do this. But no, you're absolutely right. It, It was a terrible situation there as well, just horribly overlooked. Hopefully, we don't have that happen again in the future. Sam Wilson, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Likewise. Take
0: care. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Here is something that we have all... Waited our whole lives for. You ready for this? There could maybe be a day when we will get our exercise in a pill. I knew I'd get your attention with that one. No heavy lifting, no lifting weights, no running on treadmills, no gym memberships, no aching muscles, no endless time in the gym. You go home, you pop a pill, you get the same benefits as a grueling workout. You can sit there and lie on your couch and eat popcorn. I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but the idea sounds, of course, like it is far-fetched. It sounds like something from a science fiction movie. However, scientists in California say they may be getting close to something along these lines. One of those scientists is Dr. Michael Downs. He is a staff scientist in the Gene Expression Laboratory at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in La Jolla, California. He is a senior author of this study. He joins you now. Dr. Downs, thanks for doing this today.
3: Hi, Scott. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, though I must tell you, when I read this story, my first thought, and I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this, this, is, this sounds too good to be true, that I could take a pill and get my exercise.
3: Well, yes. Um, people often say that a lot. Um, but, you know, what we were studying is mechanisms of how exercise work and how you gain endurance, and that's the angle we uh basically came across this discovery
1: there Um, sorry go ahead go ahead well there would be obviously um beyond just the basic i mean the obviously getting exercise for doing nothing is the headline on this one but there would be a multitude of benefits other than that Uh, however let's go to the headline for just a second and try and explain how this actually works because again it sounds fantastical uh, and maybe the best way to do this could you explain when I go to the gym and I do my workout what am I actually doing to my body what is going on in my body before we get to what the pill would do what am I doing to make myself better
3: okay so um, I should mention by the way I'm also here with uh, Weiwei uh, Fang, who's the first author of the paper but um, basically the the what we have developed is something that will boost your endurance. Now, exercise comes in many forms. Exercise is a very generic um, name, and that can in, that can include, you know, heavy workouts where you lift big weights, versus smaller weights where you um, gain more endurance, if you like, uh, and high repetitions, lower weights to gain endurance. And what we're talking about here is, is a pill to induce to to uh, help endurance. Uh, in, in your body, so not so much power, but more endurance. And how that works is uh, o- over time. When you uh, just say you're a, a uh, you're training for a marathon, over time, what happens is that you, one of the major biochemical uh, pathways that are turned on, is uh, a a, pa- a pathway where you switch, your muscle switch from burning glucose, which is uh, uh, to more burning uh, fat. And when you burn fat, fat is more, uh, you can generate more ATP from fat and that's what gives you uh, uh, um, uh, greater endurance. So basically what we're doing is, is, is a drug that can mimic that switch from a glycolytic muscle to an oxidative fat burning muscle.
1: So when I go to the gym and I'm running on the treadmill, then what I am i think many people, the image they have in their mind, I'm working my lungs and therefore I'm somehow making my heart and my lungs stronger and I'm breaking down muscles and therefore I'm making my muscles stronger and not to this is obviously a well, duh, kind of statement to you, but maybe not to all the rest of us. This goes way deeper. What we're doing when we exercise is going far more. Far deeper than just the the muscles or our heart or our lungs. It's it's down to the the, the tiny little bits of us
3: Yeah, it's down it's down to how, how your body uh, Chooses whether it wants to use glucose or fat during exercise and so we did a we came in this through a, a number of different ways but one of the studies that we did where and our, our study is specifically targeted at least genetically at the genetic level in in skeletal muscle So when we knocked out this gene called PPR delta, which is a nuclear hormone receptor, and that means that it's a receptor that can bind to DNA, but it takes its signals from natural natural products that are generated in your body or your dietary, and that is fat. So it just happens that this molecule binds to fat, and what happens is that it goes down and induces a program that induces... uh, um, the ability to burn more fat. And once it burns more fat, we get more ATP and you can get more endurance.
1: Is there, a, and just before we go to a break here, because we have to take a quick break, but then we're going to come back. I got a lot more to ask you about this. But before we get there, is there a, a- what is the point when we would normally, when the average human, when they're working out, would go from burning glucose to burning fat? Is it somewhere through the point of a workout or is it something in the chronology of I've been working out now for six months or eight months and therefore I begin doing this?
3: Wait, wait, do you want to? Yeah.
2: I mean, if you compare the glucose versus fat, fat is relatively an unlimited energy resource in your body and the burning fat gives you advantage in terms of the endurance.
3: And so as you train, basically one of the things that your muscle, skeletal muscle, now adapts as training over time, over the months, where you start seeing changes in your muscle fiber type, one of the things that correlates with that is the ability to more and more burn
1: fat.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: A pill that could help with endurance, a pill that could help with exercise, a pill that could actually possibly make us fitter, I guess. We're talking with Dr. Michael Downs and Dr. Weiwei Fan from California have been working on this. And uh, Dr. Downs, how do we know this works? There have to have been tests on this. Is it on mice? Is it on some kind of other animal? How do we know this works and how much it works?
3: So at the moment, there's studies have been done in uh, mice, and uh, what we found there is uh, mice uh, that were being sanitary. So they did they've been in a cage where they weren't allowed to run around, and we gave them uh, no drug or a drug, and uh, this, and what we found was then we ran them on a treadmill, and then the ones given the drug uh, ran. Um, about seventy percent. About seventy percent more uh than the ones that were in sanitary.
1: That's that's I mean that's an enormous amount.
3: Yes. Um and you know, really elite athletes uh, in terms of endurance, they really had ramped up their oxidative metabolism and this is kinda like maxing it out to the level that you would see an elite athlete
1: well i I mean initially what comes to mind so if it's 70 percent more and not to be too ridiculous with this but if you did decide to train for a marathon or did decide to train for a 10k or something that could radically expedite how much work you would have to put in before you were able to do that
3: exactly yes It, it, it and we're actually uh having studies on the way soon where we're testing that Uh, But uh, that would be the idea, and we have indications that that is the case.
1: Now, that said, with all those benefits athletically, uh, I think you would probably concur that we know how much effort is put into elite athletes at the Olympic or other levels doping. Uh, This sounds like it would be the absolute perfect tool for someone who was a super elite athlete to use for nefarious purposes, too
3: yes uh that is true um yeah, similar with um apo apoe um sorry not um
1: uh, EPO. a p o yes
3: which is which is used so um similarly yes uh they they there is the potential for abuse and in fact it has been there's been a couple of articles where it has been picked up in elite uh, elite uh athletes uh Russian walkers were picked up with this drug in it. And uh, so the uh, athlete community is, is, is definitely aware of this uh,
1: drug. Yeah, when the first person runs the first one-hour marathon, we'll know who to blame. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come knocking <laughs> on your door. Um, yeah. but, but besides athletics, and what I find really on top of that so fascinating about this, there are potentially, I would think, when I think about the possibilities here, there could be some other very interesting Uh, applications for this beyond athletes and i'm thinking okay we know i I had someone on here the other night we're talking about obesity if you have people who would be morbidly obese who probably can't exercise right now because they're not physically able or at least not much this would seem to be something that would begin to possibly help them would that be correct
3: yes i think it could help them get to the stage where they could do exercise so i think that. It's sort of, as you talk about a normal person becoming an elite athlete, it'll help somebody who's obese to get to the normal um, uh, state, if you like, by giving them that energy, by burning that fat and getting them, to uh, sort of helping a kickstart to get them to that normal state.
1: And could we look at this even beyond that to almost anybody who would be with a physical infirmity, whether it's a a paraplegic or whether it's someone in a wheelchair for something else who who on most circumstances would not be able to necessarily do the kind of workout that you would want someone to do, uh, this could be that boost to allow them to remain more healthy.
3: Yeah, so as you probably would surmise, the FDA has no path forward for an exercise pill, but what uh, is is this, this pill... Is is being developed for, in in the real sense, is people with muscle dystrophy. In fact, It's mm. uh, going to go through trials with mus- with people with muscle dystrophy, uh, very very soon. Uh, they're they're gearing up for those clinical trials. So, uh, with a, a company called uh, Mighty Bridges is, is is doing that. So, um, I think that uh, potential for a, for a, a lot of different. Uh, diseases, so uh, also a lot of diseases when they get damaged um, um, tissues, they tend to go glycolytic, uh, back to an embryonic state if you like, but these, this drug actually pushes them and helps the organ actually uh, repairs sooner, we think.
1: And so I would presume one other thing, and, and again, this probably falls into the cheating uh, level, I'm not sure. But if an athlete, let's, let's say an elite athlete, was to blow out his knee or suffer some sort of injury that would otherwise cause him or her to be off their feet for six weeks or six months and lose their fitness, this might allow them to do something and at least keep some of that fitness level.
3: Yes. Uh, yes, definitely. That is another one. And that's also for people who, yes, as you're right, somebody has got a broken leg, this could help maintain that oxidative capacity. And also, we think with people on ventilators, this would help a lot.
1: This oh, way. yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, we got to go. But how? How? F- any idea how far we are from actually seeing something like this be used for humans and maybe beyond the market? Are we talking still years and years and years, or is it closer than that?
3: I think it's closer than that, a, a couple of years. So the drug... Uh, is going through phase one trials now. So that's just looking at dosing and then we'll be into muscle dystrophy patients uh, end of the year to next year.
1: Dr. Michael Downs, a Dr. Weiwei fan. Uh, really, really appreciate your time today. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. I look forward to one day being able to, uh, to see this in use. Appreciate your time.
3: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Uh, and I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I look forward to one day being able to do 10 minutes of time on the treadmill and get 20 minutes worth of exercise time. I hate running on the treadmill, I go after the show every single night, I torture myself, it would be fantastic to do half the time, get home to the couch faster, get to the chips quicker and still have the same impact. Oh man, I dream of that. And if they could just make these pills in ice cream flavor, (laughs) oh, they'll be the greatest things in the history of the planet. I don't think that's quite what they have in mind.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. I was
1: wondering today, what was the stupidest thing you ever did? And I don't mean stupid like stealing from a store when you were a kid. That was stupid for sure. Or what else was really stupid? Playing Door. Um, What was that thing that went along with Nikki Door where you put some like doggy do in a flaming paper bag in front of a house and light it like that's stupid. Okay. That stuff is all stupid. I understand. But when I'm saying stupid, I'm thinking, what's the stupidest thing you've ever done that potentially could have landed you dead? Not even in hospital. We've all done something, at least one thing that was so off the charts moronic in retrospect, and maybe not even in retrospect, maybe even at the time that we were doing it, we're thinking, this is probably not going to go well, and if it doesn't go well, this is probably going to be really, really bad. We've all done that, right? Everybody has done something. Riding a skateboard down a hill, down a steep hill. That, you know, that would be something. I we when I was a kid, uh, and I boy, my list is long. I was a moron as a child. My list is long, but one of the things we did was one of our neighbors had a. Uh, A water ski boat. They, They did water skiing. And so I don't know why they had it at home, but they had one of the tow ropes in their garage. And so of course your kids, you've got a bike, you've got a skateboard, you've got a tow rope. What could go wrong with this? So you have one person on the skateboard holding the tow rope that is attached at the other end around the bicycle seat, which is a brilliant idea and tons of fun until you take your first corner. And centrifugal force, as everyone understands, you probably don't follow the path of the bike. You end up going very wide with the skateboard behind the bike, which we did. And then at full speed, because you're out of control, your skateboard, which is about the same height as the curb, you hit the curb and you go airborne and land in a neighbor's rose bush. That's the kind of thing. And not even that is benign really i've done stupider things than that i wrote a steer in a rodeo a big giant steer that was a bad idea another day another story but we've all done these things i, I would suggest for a lot of people bungee jumping might be one of those things again you like to believe that everything is fine But you show up at a bridge somewhere in some foreign land. You don't know who the guys are. You've paid them some kind of money and you are trusting with your life that they know what they're doing. I've never understood that concept. I am going to leap off a 50 story bridge with a rubber band tied to my ankles on the belief that these morons who I've just paid money to, who look like they don't know what they're doing, that they know what they're doing. And they are going to keep me safe. Anyway, you get my point. We've all done amazingly ridiculous things that, but for guardian angels would have had all of us dead at one time or another. Anyone out there not done this? I I applaud you for living your life in a perfectly rational and careful manner, but I would suggest that you are way in the minority way in the minority. So why do I bring this up? Let me tell you why I bring this up because there is a story out of Florida that may take, and by the way, this is this is like the Darwin Awards, right? This is the idea that you would do something that would kill you. This story is the Darwin Awards to the nth degree. The only thing different is the person somehow didn't die. And I have no idea how this person didn't die. It's a family. They've got a swimming hole in Florida somewhere. It's not, it's not even really a swimming hole. It's a swimming hole. It's kind of a, it's a river or a bog or a swamp or something. There's water. There's a tree and there is a swing rope that you can swing out and fly yourself over the water and then let go. Right? It's, it's every Southern U S old school, Tom Sawyer kind of image. Except these people made one small mistake as they were standing around getting ready to swing into the water. They never, they're in Florida. They're in South Florida. What's in the water in South Florida? Hmm. They never checked the water apparently, I guess. They never bothered to look, just even do a cursory glance around the water. So the girl, I think it's a girl or a woman, it's a female, swings out, let's go, splashes into the water, And misses landing on a nine foot alligator by about two feet. That's a bad move. But here's the amazing thing. Ben, if you have the audio ready, there was a video done of this. You have to listen to, now I don't know if this is her husband or her father. Listen to his response when she misses landing on a nine foot alligator by two feet. (laughs) That's kind of close. (laughs) Uh, that's kind of close. She almost landed on a nine-foot dinosaur with large teeth that eats meat, namely people, and that's the best he could... Who are these people? Uh, That's kind (laughs) of close. That's kind of close. I hope that when the day comes, when the next day comes, that I do something that almost causes me to die. My loved ones will have a little more enthusiasm for my well-being then uh, that's kind of close
0: you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 chml Don't stop yeah, yeah,
1: all right time to bring in our buddy bubba o'neill yeah, how's this for the intro music bubba we're still working on it how's this one a little pit bull for bubba
4: um, not my style, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but better than the past. <laughs> I I told Ben, I'm still in southern vacation mode, so I needed some like Cuban pit bull to, uh, to get me through, and since you were coming on, it seemed like it would fit.
4: i got no issues with the pit bull right now. He's, he's, you know, I do.
1: I have an issue with pit bull. You want to know what it is? Uh-oh. You want to know what, what the problem with Pitbull is? Because I was listening to some of his stuff while I was running on the treadmill the other day. Okay. What other artist has to say his name at the beginning of every song? Literally every song that he has, he goes, Mr. Worldwide. And it's like, I don't care if it's Mr. Worldwide. I'll know it when I hear your voice. You don't have to tell me. You don't do your, your sports report every night by going, Mr. C-H-C-H. Now let's get to the highlights. You don't do that. Nobody does that.
4: Yeah, especially when you're on camera. That is uh, that, that would be a little you know little you sh- self-serving. But.
1: <laughs> although maybe that's a new shtick. Maybe the new thing you come up with a name for yourself, like Mister, not Mister Worldwide, Mister Southern Ontario, and just start every <laughs> sportscast with have some have some music boom da, boom, da, boom in the background. It's go Mister Southern Ontario. Now the highlights. I think that could be your thing. I'll I'll take it a step further down. I'll just I'll just say golden horseshoe. Mr. Golden Horseshoe. <laughs> Mr. Golden Horseshoe But you have to say it with attitude. Kinda like you're you're halfway between you're really bored and you're really cool. I'll try. That,
4: uh, I, that's, I'm always looking for new ways to, to be different. Uh, I to, shall watch. To, to entertain our people here at CHCH and still get them some information.
1: I, uh, I eagerly await the first time you do that, as will, I'm sure, Taz. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll have a wide shot, and she'll be looking at you like, are you stoned? <laughs> you know what? Taz may say that, but I have a feeling Phil might have tried
4: it already. He's <laughs> a wacky dude. <laughs> G-
1: maybe give it to Taz as an idea. <laughs> have the music start. She just says, Ms. 905. Here's that, the news. That will not happen. That I can guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Let us get to a few things in the world of sports. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about this week. I want to talk about starting with this. And we may have discussed this issue generally in the past, but boy, it seems to come up a few times. And I, I'm the CFL. Uh, this week, discovered that a player who signed with the BC Lions, a guy named Euclid Cummings, he had played with Edmonton before, signed a contract with the BC Lions, and then the CFL discovered, I don't know how, it's not clear how they found out, but they discovered that he is facing some criminal charges, including, apparently, sexual assault. So, what the CFL said was, your contract is voided. And I'm still, still... Trying to wrap my head around whether or not this is a good idea, the right way to proceed with something like this, or not the right way. Now, before I get to do it, no one is suggesting for a second, neither you nor I. Just in case anyone will wonder, I'll just take this off the table right away. No one is suggesting that these, that the charges or the things that he's accused of or anything, are somehow not a problem. They are a problem. The question is, should you not still? when it's a criminal thing, still have the presumption of innocence to keep your job before they decide that you can't even earn a living.
4: You know, and I'm going to be consistent here on, on, on an issue like this, because, yeah, we, I know we've delved into this sort of issue, but with different people. And I, I've always believed that on a first-time offense or a first-time accusation, that the, ste- the team, it, uh, unless it is so obvious that this person is so guilty It's so egregious and so insane whatever a person has done that your employer should stay with you. Uh, and, And I'm not saying that doesn't come with a paid suspension of some sort while an investigation goes on. Uh, but if you are a multiple offender or you've had other issues, then I can understand you being terminated immediately. You know because you know you fool me once, fool me twice. Or you know generally after uh, one warning, you know one issue, then you know a general manager or an owner would say, look, you know we've got your back here, but if anything like this ever pops up again, uh, you know we can't have this because it represents the team. So I'm always confused in a first-time situation when someone just chooses to part ways with someone without being actually proven guilty.
1: But it's not even, and I'm with you, but it's not even that the BC Lions, although they have supported the league's position on this, it's not even that they are saying, we got to get rid of this guy. It's a league position, and the league has done this before. The league has taken this stand with guys before. And I, we know in the Me Too thing right now with social media that if people aren't charged it's a slightly different scenario. The presumption of innocence is, while we like to talk about it all the time, that is a legal term. That is a legal term. So it's not, while we might want it to be the case with Me Too and the people who are accused of bad behavior, we want presumption of innocence. It doesn't necessarily work. But this guy is charged criminally. He does, to me, have the presumption of innocence. And I can understand the league suspending him I can understand the league saying you are not permitted to be around the team, but you've signed a contract, and so you are suspended, but you'll still be getting paid. Or even you are suspended without pay, but if you are exonerated, you will receive the full amount of your contract. Any of those things I'm okay with. I'm just uncomfortable with deciding because someone is charged, even if the allegation or the charge is despicable, that you say that's it, you're gone. We're not even going to wait for the courts to make the dis- determination.
4: Well, and that's kind of where the lines that I've been walking is that you know what, yeah, I mean, uh, pay uh, suspension with pay, or or you know what, because again, the the player in in sports, um, and and I don't think this just happens in the real world too much. You know, like if you know you work for uh, IBM. Your name doesn't always get a fix to the company as much you know, based on, on on a single crime, but in sports the pro team does. I mean, it's the the Oakland Raiders player, it's the Hamilton Tiger Cats player, it's the Toronto Maple Leaves player. These, you know, the team gets dragged through the mud. And you're right. I think probably I uh, say, look, we can't have you around here at practice or working at our facility or whatever. You know, take some time off, cool off, and let the legal, you know, stuff work itself out, and then we can go from there. So I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And, I, and what concerns me is that if there is a, a, a trial and that person is proven innocent, well, how does the league look?
1: Well, the. <sighs> I mean the See, league, the league is to, I I think the league is looking at this deciding that th- with everything going on with me too and with the no tolerance of sexual assaults or sexual misbehavior that they look good in this that they look like they're taking a forward aggressive no nonsense approach and Again, on the face of it, I I support that. I applaud that. But I don't know that when it's a criminal case. But, but uh,
4: sorry to stop you there, Scott. The, the, has the league gone out and done a, their own investigation here?
1: That's unclear. That is unclear. And
4: that, the, and that and well, that really concerns me. You know, if they've got done their due diligence and spoke to police, interviewed players, interviewed the player. Let me read you uh, the
1: quote from uh from. The league, they may they put out a statement and it may answer your question. Upon learning of the criminal charges facing Euclid Cummings, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi has voided his contract with the BC Lions. As these charges are before the courts, the CFL will offer no further comment. That does not say the CFL has investigated. That says they found out that he was charged and said you're done.
4: Yeah, and that and that, that concerns me. And I got a lot of respect for, for Randy and the C F L and what they do. Um and of course, they have a public image to to protect, but in this situation here, they have learned we have learned i mean this is this is no different than you or I learning through an article in a newspaper or a report from off the wires or whatever the case is or some we've read a police report does this is that enough to go on to to actually terminate someone and again not terminate from the team terminate you you so now the problem is here, this person has now lost the opportunity at employment in the league, yes. not just the team.
1: Yes. And and it's unclear. Now, we've had, as I say, we, there have been cases before. There was a case, So was it last year when uh, there was a domestic violence situation with a player whose name Your is eluding is, me yeah, right so
4: now? He's from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, And, and they, they
1: said, America. yeah, he, he was not uh, eligible to be in the league. And, again... I get the thought process. I get the PR that they are trying to do here. I get the general concept. I'm just really uncomfortable with the the judge and jury when you aren't the judge or the jury.
4: Yeah, well, we we don't see these kind of, and this is, again, concerning to me in a sense that uh, a league like the National Football League, who's probably had more experience in these situations than anyone else, any other league, uh, perhaps in the world, uh, they generally do their own work too. And now, mind you, this is a league with a lot of money and a lot of lawyers, and you know, and can go out there and do their own investigation and work with police and then come to a decision. But they never re- operate like this. The NBA is another one that's had some issues over the years, but uh, that's a league-wide investigation before any termination is 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 uh, you know, issued to the player.
1: Was it um. The Los Angeles Kings had a guy uh, a few years ago. Was it Voinov? Uh,
4: Voinov? Now, yeah, now playing the KHL.
1: Slava Voinov, who had a domestic assault charge leveled against him by his wife. And what they did, what the Kings did, as I recall, was they did what we said. You, you're you still on the team. You're still part of the team. You just can't be anywhere near the team until we sort this thing out. So we right. we aren't making the decision that you're guilty until we know that you're guilty. But don't be around here because we're not going to have you as part of this thing. We can't give you that opportunity.
4: You know, we and we, you know, and it's fine. This is, it goes to show you the differences between teams. You remember the situation that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks had with Patrick Kane. Uh with an incident here, in, you know, he's you know always for uh, Western New in York Buffalo. Guy, and he had incidents here too. And and they allowed him to continue working with the team, the Buffalo Sabres with Evander Kane. He had an issue as well too with an a, a, an incident of assault in a in a Buffalo bar. Um, they too maintained his appointment and and said, "Look, you know, we're, we're going to do our investigation and we'll go from here."
1: It's a tough one. I, um, I I disagree with the with getting rid of guys before it happens, but I don't think it'll be the last time. And I, I don't just mean because there's guys in the CFL with these situations. I, I the CFL has made it. This is their policy now. This seems to be the thing that if we will not tolerate anybody with. These kind of charges. Now, the, the the other question for me is, will it only be violence against women? And and no one again, no one is poo pooing that as a horrible thing. I'm not suggesting. But if you if you had a guy who was charged, let's say with uh, drinking and driving, or or some other crime that would be serious. Will they also be barred, or is this just a violence against women situation?
4: Well, I'm going to say no. I mean, I think we've had incidents like this in the Canadian Football League, and I, I for one, and I would certainly need to be... um, Told by the Canadian Football League and and maybe others around it that uh, a player has been dismissed for such a re- you know from the league for reasons that, that you know that you just described. I just don't seem to remember any. And I would also believe that in a situation like this, that the Players Association now what, you know what in the in this and that that's another that's another thing. You know you're going back to the to the BC Lions player here. They're coming. So what, what, does the Players Association not have a say here?
1: We have recently been made aware of a situation involving an active player within our membership, the CFLPA said Thursday. This matter is under investigation by police, and we will have no further comment at this time. Vanilla. Right across the board. All right. uh, Let me move on to something far lighter, far more fluffy, but far better. Far better. (laughs) Because the Arizona Diamondbacks have announced that when the baseball season opens in a few weeks, and they go to the bullpen the first time because their starting pitcher stinks, which has been the case more often than not for them lately. And the gate opens to release their relief pitcher onto the world. He will be brought to to the pitcher's mound by a bullpen cart. They are bringing back the glorious 1970s tradition of the golf cart with a baseball hat on it that they will drive their pitchers to the mound. This, to me, Bubba, is a return to the best part of baseball.
4: <laughs> this is, well, they're looking to increase pace of play, so if this gets these guys out there quicker... <laughs>
1: See, back in the day, this was, I think, this existed mostly because relief pitchers generally were about 70 pounds overweight and they were winded by the time they got to the mound. Now, they're all in great shape, but I just, this is a missing part of the game. This was one of the highlights when the stupid little golf cart with the hat that you couldn't even see the guy. It was like, mystery, who's coming in? Oh, it's Bob! Because you couldn't see under the hat. I love this. I love this thing. I think this is one of the, I hope every team, I hope the Blue Jays do it now and have like BJ Birdie, or whatever his name is now driving it in. There are so, this is, this is a return to the best part of the seventies.
4: Has this created employment for at least an open, an opening for another job that you are actually the guy that uh, is responsible for, you know, bringing in a
1: pitcher. I, I mean, would hope This would be an interesting job. I would hope so. And do you need to have a special license? <laughs> you know you need like a g-class to drive a truck do you need a some sort of special license to drive a relief pitcher to the mount
4: and it, it, you don't want to what,
1: run over the shortstop
4: what about it probably opens up something for insurance as well too because anything could happen i mean you will you know they could get a flat tire you something could happen oh and they now could, you
1: could have a whole pit crew you
4: know that it may tip who knows what may happen here
1: you know what? The, you know the real reason I would bet that they're bringing this back, and I don't even care because I like the idea so much. Uh, more space where you can put ads. No you know gosh. that the golf cart is not going. You know the golf cart is not not going to be sponsored.
4: You know, though, Scott. On a serious note, towards this, uh, what I, what I think they need to do to follow this up, and again, pace of play has become a very important part of. What you know uh, they're trying to do in baseball and trying to maintain that younger audience that you know that many people say that baseball is too long and has too many pauses and too many breaks. If you were able to you know grab the reliever, drive him out to the mound, and just go. No no warm up tosses. You just go. Let, let's get the game underway. You get them to, out to the mound and let's go. I mean, because this is the, one of the mystifying things for me o- over the years when you examine what can we do to improve the speed of baseball, that guy is generally in the bullpen throwing 20, 25, maybe even as much as 30 pitches to get himself warm. Why do they need warm-up pitches on the mound?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Uh, the reason is because occasionally the mound is slightly different from the, uh, from the bullpen to the to the home plate or to the real mound. But... I think you could probably achieve that with three, right? They're already warm. So you get three pitches now instead of 10 or 12 or whatever it is. You get three pitches to figure it out, and away you go. Because you're right. You, unless you're coming in for an injury, you don't need to be throwing 10 more. You've already had a warm-up. You are, you are prime.
4: But, Scott, one of the hardest positions in all of sport is a goaltender. You're getting pucks sh- fired at you at 80 miles an hour whether it's an injury or a, a timeout change or a, a goalie change because of poor performance, those goaltenders go in there cold. So why do you even need those three pitches?
1: Well, just as I say, just in case the angle of the mound is slightly different, just ah, to get your feel. God. I'm okay with them throwing three pitches, plus for the catcher to, to see what the guy has. I mean, I like, I don't mind a couple or three pitches. It's just... This thing gets dragged out. And 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 I'm you know what else they should do? We're way off track because we're talking about golf carts. <laughs> you should not let batters step out of the batters box. Well, that too. Uh that would be another one. Let's this hurry this thing along. But no, let's get back to these golf carts for a second because w- were you a fan of these, by the way, once upon a time? Yes. Everybody was, right? It's fun. You had the here's what you had in the nineteen seventies that made baseball great beside the sport. You had Philadelphia, or no, Pittsburgh Pirates with baseball caps that looked like tin cans. They were the weird shape, we are family, Willie Stargill not really shaped like a baseball cap. You had, what's his name who just passed away from the, he played for Cleveland, uh, Oscar Gamble with the afro that was the size of Sputnik. You had AstroTurf everywhere that was hard as cement. Oh, and what else did you have? You had uniforms that looked like pajamas. Yeah, you had those wonderful Houston Astros uh, jerseys. You had the Blue Jays in a powder blue pajama. And you had porn star mustaches on most of the players. <laughs> and for a while, you even had the Chicago White Sox wearing short pants and we're playing, giant we're collars. Smoking in the dugout? Smoking? Oh, absolutely. Smoking in the dugout. Chewing tobacco. Enough chewing tobacco juice to swim in. Oh, what a that's gross. Let's bring it all back. Let's have a return to the 70s. And 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 just do the whole thing. And we got to have more more we got to have a disco demolition night again and blow up the outfield like they did one time where they actually put a Crater in the outfield. Oh, that was it, a good
4: yeah, one. At Chicago at uh, Old with Chicago a riot. Field. Wow, if they had a riot and shoot, they had to cancel the second game of the doubleheader. Did they? they did
1: not? well, they did, and that was one of two times because the other time was they had Mister Explodo or something. He was he was a guy <laughs> that you yes. would put him into a box and then they would explode the box with dynamite and suddenly Mister Explodo would pop out, and go, "I'm still here. I'm deaf, but I'm still here." <laughs> but they set the dynamite wrong the one time and he survived. But there literally was a crater blown into the middle of the outfield and that's a problem to play and you can't really play with a giant hole in the outfield so anyway i am hoping that the return of golf carts that these arizona diamondbacks will bring a full-on return right across right across the league that to me would be great
4: i have no doubt i mean because we've seen this many times in sports and copycatting is everywhere and once one crowd base gets the, the treat of this I think there will be demands all over the place for for more.
1: Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, you can see him tonight on, well, on CHCH. How about that? 11 o'clock. Sir, thanks for doing this. As always, appreciate it. How can we go from so serious to a golf? I player? don't know. Well, we try to lighten it up before we go to TV theme song, name that tune. But um, we'll see if it works. <laughs> the
0: Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 DHML.